last regularly scheduled episode of Real People, Real God, Misu and Lindsay wrap up their Through the Bible character series with an overview of the Old Testament from Saul, the first king, through Daniel's prophecy of the world's final kingdom. Hi, this is Misu. And this is Lindsay. Welcome back, everyone. We're so glad you could join us today. Lindsay, how is your day going? You know, it's going all right. I've been sick for like all week. This is this is Friday Aww. today. I've been sick since Monday. It's been a, I've been wiped out with some kind of terrible cold or sinus. But today is the first day that I can actually breathe. Like oh, like I went good. from like zero percent to yeah. like ninety percent being able to breathe. So oh, it's thank a good day. You Lord. Thank you. I never thought I'd be so thankful for breathing. There's nothing like a good, <laughs> terrible head cold to make you thankful for just breath. Just, just breathing. Breath. Yeah. Well, breathing is an essential. It is kind of an important thing. Uh-huh. So, yeah. so I'm, I'm feeling better today and I'm, I'm doing yeah. pretty good. How are you doing over there? I'm, I'm good. I've been sick since before Christmas, like since we recorded oh, no. our last podcast. Yeah. And so oh, I no. finally got an antibiotic, so I'm doing better, much better, much, much, much better. So yay, good. hooray for that. Yeah. 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 Good. I think tis the season for colds and sick and yuck. So. And you yeah. visit all the people and the family and everybody just passes around all the germs. It's, you I know. know, Merry yeah. Christmas. Glad to be with they, you. Yeah. Thanks and they sharing. bring germs from like wherever they live too. And so we all <laughs> right. get to like, it's like a potpourri of germs. So uh-huh. yeah. Merry know. Christmas. All right. Well, before we begin, begin today's podcast, we, Lindsay and I have some good news and some bad news to share. So I'm going to share the bad news. The bad news mm-hmm. is this will be our last regularly scheduled podcast. Boo. I sad. know. I'm, I know. I'm crying too, times but. here. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. the good news is that we plan to do periodic podcasts. Right. Say that 10 times fast, Misu. Periodic, periodic podcasts. Podcast. Periodic. Yeah. <laughs> okay. uh, we plan to do some periodic podcasts a few times over the coming year to stay yes. in touch with you guys, our listeners, and mm-hmm. because we really enjoy chatting together and talking about yep. the Bible. And we we've do. heard from some of you that you've really enjoyed some of the things you've heard on Real People, Real God. So we're going to keep yeah. doing some. But because those episodes are going to become pretty sporadic, it's all the more important that y'all subscribe on iTunes or that you sign up for my regular Friday blogs on my website so that you don't miss when we do post an episode. Right. Yes. But what about our Through the Bible character study? We can't just leave them all hanging. I mean, we just finished with like, we're in the middle of the Old Testament. We just finished with Samuel, right? Yes, so today we are going to highlight, are you ready, the rest of the Old Testament story after Samuel. So we're going to go from Saul (laughs) all the way. I know, we're a little bit, that's a a big order, but we're going to do it. So we're going to kind of fly, kind of like flying in a plane over the mountains on a cloudy day when you can just see the mountain peaks poking through the clouds. Okay, that's how Uh we're going to do this. So... Lindsay, why don't you start us off with the first king, Saul, and his high points, oh yeah, and a few low points. Yeah, here we go. This is a a marathon run. My phone informed me on this recording device that we only have two hours of space for recording, so we're going to see if we can get this (laughs) overview done. We promise we won't go over two hours, right? No, it won't be that (laughs) long. Okay. We'll do it a lot less than that. Okay. 
Here we go. So Saul, if you if you remember, uh, last time we were talking about Samuel, and Samuel anointed Israel's first king. They demanded yes. a king. It was Saul. Samuel anointed him. So if you remember Saul, he was quite the specimen of a man. He was handsome. He was a head taller than any man in Israel. This is what the Bible tells us about him. Yeah. So. One of Saul's high points didn't last very long for him, but in his early days when Samuel first met Saul to anoint him as king, Saul really showed some admirable humility. He was really quite humble at first. He he wasn't kind of, you know, too full of himself yet. He didn't even feel like he was fit for the job. In 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 21, this conversation with Samuel and Saul, Saul says, But am I not a Benjamite? from the smallest tribe of Israel, and is not my clan the least of all the clans of the tribes of Benjamin? Why do you say such a thing to me? Um, I think Samuel had just told him that he was going to be king. Why do you say such a thing to me? So he had this humility. He wasn't, he wasn't too full of himself. He didn't think too much of himself, um, which was good. But unfortunately, this honorable humility didn't last very long for Saul. And Saul had quite a few low points um, mm-hmm. in his story. And so on his inauguration day as king, he doesn't even want to be crowned king. And so he hides among the baggage, is what it says in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 10. Oh, among uh, the baggage. That was just yeah. sad. That's a sad little detail there, isn't it? Yeah, oh. so he's he's hiding. He doesn't even want to be crowned king. Um, and then in 1 Samuel chapter 15, we see Saul begins a pattern of disobedience to God, where he is mm-hmm. not at all following God or not listening to God. And it starts with the scene where he fails to completely destroy the Amalekites, as God had commanded him to do. He was supposed to destroy everything. And God calls him out on it here in, in 1 Samuel 15, verses 17 through 19, Samuel, God calls Saul out through Samuel. Samuel speaks to him and says, Although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? And the Lord anointed you king over Israel. And he sent you on a mission saying, Go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. Wage war against them until you have wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pronounce on the plunder? Uh, why did you pounce? <laughs> Sorry, I can't read. Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? Mm-hmm. Um, and so God calls him out for his lost humility. You you were small in your own eyes, but now you've become too big to listen to God. Um, and and God also vows to strip away the kingdom from Saul. He's going to take the kingdom away from Saul and his household. And so to fulfill that, in the next chapter, we see Samuel anoints David as king. And um, although David is still a young boy, and he won't actually sit on the throne for about 15 years, God has chosen a new king of Israel. God is stripping away the kingdom from Saul and giving it to David. And then we see this period of another low point. Saul's jealousy of David begins. And this is a string of chapters you might know. David becomes one of Saul's soldiers, his harp player, his son-in-law, his son's best friend. And Saul is just jealous of David and that he's been anointed for the king. And Saul pursues David through over hill, over dale, just everywhere. Saul yeah. pursues David to kill him. It's and that's sad. the rest of mm-hmm. first, first Samuel. So, so now we see this, you know, once humble king who's now just a pompous, maniacal, really. He's kind of crazy. Uh, this guy who, in one of his worst moments, he consults a witch who predicts mm-hmm. his death, which will occur during a Philistine battle. And this is just not, yeah, Saul, as the first king of Israel, has some some really low points. He's just yeah. not a great king to start with. So, mm-hmm. Misu, why don't you tell us, do they get any better, these kings of Israel? 
Well, they do. Yay. Yes, okay. they do. And so the second King David, I mean, who's better than King David, right? We have yeah. such great stories about him. I mean, he defeats Goliath with a single stone. And he begins Israel's defeat of the Philistines. Even while Saul is still king, he starts defeating the Philistines. So he's he's a great dude. That's a high point. And, you know, after Saul dies, David becomes the king. His military conquests increase Israel's territory all the way to the borders of the promised land that Joshua could never quite conquer. So we okay. see, you know, he's fulfilling that promise of the promised land that, that the mm-hmm. original Israelites couldn't come in and, and capture. He He captures Jerusalem from the Jebusites and makes it Israel's capital, which still stands today. I mean, that was yeah. David that did that. That's a huge high point. Instituting um, God's holy city there. For yeah. The, the I mean, Israelites. that's huge. That mm-hmm. was David. So, but here's the, the really cool thing about David. It's not just his military exploits that make him the high point of this era of the Kings. It's David's spiritual being. Mm-hmm. He was described by God as a man after God's heart. I I love that, that it was God that described him that way. Yeah. So what do you think that means? A man after God's heart for God to describe him that way. What, what did God mean by that? That he recognized that God had emotion because the heart means emotion. Does it, does that, is that what the heart means? I, I think it does. Finally, he recognized David recognized God's love for the people. Mm. Um, is that what he meant by that? I don't know. I, yeah. I have wrestled with that and, and wondered what God meant a man after God's own heart. I just, I love that about David. And because yeah. of that intimate relationship that he had with Yahweh, he authored some of the absolute most beautiful and most raw and, and penetrating Psalms in scripture. Yeah. Um, he leaves us know, with quite a legacy. Psalms, yeah. Psalms, you know, which David. Psalms are from David. You know, because they are, they are just raw. They, Mm -hmm. they cut you to the heart. So, but yeah, um, as we found in these real people episodes, we know that scripture's greatest heroes have low points too. And man, David had some real low points. (laughs) Oh, ha. Uh, he had a temper. Uh, he, he nearly murdered a man for refusing to offer David and his, his soldiers hospitality. I'd say that's a temper. And it was the man's wife, Abigail, remember Abigail, who stepped Uh in to save her whole household. Yep. Mm. And when that man later died, David married Abigail, making her wife number three, which actually, if we remember back from Deuteronomy 17, it it is a direct disobedience of God's word that says Mm. a, a king must not take many wives or his heart will be led astray. And we see that David's heart was definitely led astray and it was led into adultery with Bathsheba um, and then into murder when he killed Bathsheba's husband so that he could marry her. Uh, Definitely a low point, David. Definitely a low point. Another low point. He honestly, let's just call it what it is. He was a lousy father. Um, most <laughs> of David's true of a lot of our real you know, people. So it far, is. Why is that? That's so sad. Isn't I think it? we're all kind of lousy at most oh. of the roles we try to play. I suppose it's, it's hard. Yep. It is. But isn't it? Isn't it grace that God gives us these wonderful, wonderful heroes of the faith that are so bad at some things yep. <laughs> that yep. we can we can resonate with? I mean, seriously, yeah. most. Most of David's children were a mess, right? Yeah. 
Oh, they, I mean, one of David's sons rapes one of David's daughters and then another son Ugh. tries to steal the throne. And I, but here again, why wouldn't they be a mess? The Bible names 19 sons and one daughter from eight different wives. It goes back to that disobedience yeah. of that original law. Um, I mean, talk about a blended family, right? Holy yeah. cow. Um, but it was one son out of this odd lot of boys that gains the throne. And it, that too is through an odd set of circumstances. It's not, mm-hmm. it's not the firstborn. It's not the eldest of David's sons, but it is the eldest of David's favorite wife, Bathsheba. It's Solomon. Mm-hmm. So Lindsay, mm-hmm. how about if you tell us a little bit about Solomon's highs and lows? Yeah. So Solomon is another well-known king in the Old Testament. And some of his high points, you might remember or know the story. God gives Solomon an amazing open opportunity to ask God for anything. And Solomon asks for wisdom. That's mm-hmm. one of his high points. This is recorded in Second Chronicles chapter 1, verses 7 through 13. And that night God appeared to Solomon and said to him, ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said to God, You have shown great and steadfast love to David my father, and have made me king in his place. O Lord God, let your word to David my father be now fulfilled, for you have made me king over a people as numerous as the dust of the earth. Give me now wisdom and knowledge to go out and come in before this people, for who can govern this people of yours, which is so great? Yes. Yay, Solomon, Solomon, right? Yes, right. So God answers Solomon, because this was in your heart and you have not asked for possessions or wealth or honor or the life of those who hate you and have not even asked for long life, but have asked for wisdom and knowledge for yourself that you may govern my people over whom I have made you king. Wisdom and knowledge are granted to you, Solomon. Mm -hmm. And I will also give you riches, possessions, and honor, such as none of the kings who were before you and none after you shall ever have the likes. Um, so Solomon came from the high place at Gibeon from before the tent of meeting to Jerusalem and he reigned over Israel. That is a great high point, awesome. a great yep. high point in Huge. Solomon's. And, and that's why we know Solomon is this great king. No one else had wealth or honor or, or possessions like him and no one mm-hmm. else had wisdom like him. And so yeah. it's also from, from this wisdom and what God gives him that we get some of the books of the Bible. We get some of the wisdom books is what they're called. Um, Proverbs written by Solomon, some of that. Um, Song of Solomon or Song of Songs and then Ecclesiastes. And God had, had given him such great wisdom that he recorded a lot of wisdom for us. And then also Ecclesiastes is kind of full of because he's gotten so much wealth and honor, he didn't know what to do with it. And it kind of tore him apart. And yeah. we get some interesting perspective there in Ecclesiastes. So that's some high points. Um, Solomon also built the temple of the Lord, um, which was a project that his, his father David had conceived, but wasn't able to complete. Mm-hmm. Um, but Solomon did that. And, and here's another high point, just this beautiful prayer of dedication of mm-hmm. the temple that Solomon yeah. prays in first Kings chapter eight. I'll read some of that. Um, Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands toward heaven and said, O Lord God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on the earth beneath, keeping covenant and showing steadfast love to your servants who walk before you with all their heart. You have kept with your servant David, my father, what you declared to him. You spoke with your mouth and with your hand have fulfilled it this day. Now, therefore, O Lord God of Israel, Keep for your servant David, my father, what you promised him, saying, You shall not lack a man to sit before me on the throne of Israel, if only your sons pay close attention to their way, to walk before me as you have walked before me. Now therefore, O God of Israel, 
let your word be confirmed, which you've spoken to your servant David, my father. And then he says, But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, how much less this house that I have built. Yet have regard to the prayer of your servant and to this plea. O Lord my God, listening to the cry and to the prayer that your servant prays before you this day, that your eyes may be opened night and day toward this house, the place of which you have said, My name shall be there, that you may listen to the prayer that your servant offers toward this place, and listen to the plea of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place, and listen in heaven your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive." Mm. That's a that's a great prayer of, oh of dedication How of the temple. Is that? Yeah. Lord, you cannot even be contained here, but please dwell with us. Please hear us mm-hmm. when we pray to you here, and please forgive us. Um, yeah. So the, the, those are some good high points of Solomon's life. Really great high points. Yeah. Low yeah. point for Solomon, you might know, you might have heard his many many wives. He had something like. 700 wives and 300 concubines. <laughs> and yep. uh-huh. like you just read that scripture, um, it was commanded for King to not have many wives because they would lead his heart yeah. astray. That's exactly I mean, what happened for Solomon. David's eight wives mm. suddenly seem like not such a big deal, right? Oh yeah. Like not yeah. at all. Mm. Yeah. So yeah. you can read in, in first Kings chapter 11, it talks about Solomon's many wives. He married many foreign women. Uh-huh. Um, and and, his, and it says specifically his wives turned away his heart. It, it yeah. says that's exactly what happened. And then yeah. Solomon began to go after Ashtoreth, which was the goddess yeah. of the Sidonians, after Milcom, another god. Um, Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He built a high place for Chamash, which was another god, and for Molech. So his his wives were leading him astray. And that was Solomon's greatest low point. And then some of his wealth and honor and possessions began to get to him and, and yeah. really drag him down. So that's really a, a bummer of a low point for Solomon there. Yeah. Um, so Misu, after this, the following Kings, do they get any better? Any of them? Oh man, they get worse, which is really disappointing. <laughs> this is really, really disappointing, is. right? Yeah. I mean, come yes, on. I mean, is. we went so high. It was such a tall peak. And then now <laughs> we're beautiful. just really, we're on a roll down and it, it rolls down fast. Um, <laughs> after Solomon's death, his son Rehoboam takes the throne and the kingdom splits. So you've got, this is in 931 BC. So you've got 10 northern tribes that become a separate nation. They retain the name Israel. And then the two tribes of Judah and Benjamin become a southern kingdom called Judah. So now you've got God's people in two separate nations, which, I mean, really, seriously? Talk about family feud. (laughs) uh, Yeah, exactly. You've got completely different kingdoms. Yeah, and it's a, a hugely chaotic time. Of, of kings, because each of these two kingdoms have a separate king. So a few of them end up being good. Most of them are bad. So from 931 to 721 BC, Israel, the northern kingdom, are you ready? They had no good kings. Ugh. In 210 years, they had zero kings that were faithful to Yahweh. Can you think That's about rough. that? Yeah, 200 that is a low years. point. <laughs> No kings. Yeah. Yeah. Judah, they had a little better record. They had eight out of 20 kings that were considered right. good kings. Oh, yeah. We'll take eight almost 50% <laughs> compared uh, the, to zero. Compared to, yeah. But they had the temple that Solomon built. So, I mean, they mm-hmm. had a little bit going for him there and, and still couldn't even get 20 at 50%, you know? Yeah. So what yeah. happens... 
is God's judgment. It's what he promised them would yeah. happen way back in Deuteronomy when Moses was reading them the law. And he said, if you're faithful, I'll be faithful to you. And if, yeah. if you're not faithful and if you run after other gods, which Solomon led them to do, yep. I, I'm going to, you will be exiled. And so the Northern kingdom was exiled first because they had zero faithfulness. And so they were actually exiled in 721 BC and Assyria mm. Uh, came and conquered them. In 586 BC, the southern kingdom of Judah was exiled. So do you remember some of these, some of these scriptures back in Deuteronomy? Um, Lynn's, yeah. let me, let me read one of them for you. The Lord will send on you curses, confusion and rebuke in everything you put your hand to until you are destroyed and come to sudden ruin because of the evil you have done in forsaking him. The Lord will drive you and the king you set over you to a nation Ooh. unknown to you or your ancestors. There you will worship other gods, gods of wood and stone. You will become a thing of horror, a byword, and an object of ridicule among all the peoples where the Lord will drive you. Yeah. Yeah. God promised, God promised that there would be destruction and exile yeah. and punishment if they didn't follow him. That was part of the when he laid out the covenant for them. Um, yeah. yeah. And that's what we see, we see happening here. And so there's, there's this time of the Kings. That's just awful. And if you read first and second Kings, if you read first and second Chronicles, that's most of this history about these terrible mm -hmm. Kings that Misu mentioned. You can read that. Right. It's depressing, but it's, it's the history <laughs> there of Israel. It is. And so it then is. during this time, uh, we see the activity of the prophets also. So you mm -hmm. might know some of the books of the Old Testament that are books of the prophets, major prophets and minor prophets, Hosea, Isaiah, Jeremiah, um, Ezekiel, Daniel, Amos, Obadiah, you know, all those funny names that are hard to say. Those, those are the books of the prophets. And what God was doing through the prophets, he sent his, he sent prophets to speak to the people during the time of the kings, during that low point when things were bad, he sent his right. prophets. And so, so these prophets, when you read their words, um, just think about, they had an interesting function in the nation of Israel, uh, these prophets. I had read, I had read it in a book once describing different parts of biblical literature that, um, the prophets of Israel function as God's covenant enforcement mediators. That was what this book called them, the covenant enforcement mediators. So I kind of picture them as like bouncers. <laughs> I don't know why, but that phrase just gives me an image funny. of like bouncer, enforcement. covenant enforcement mediator, like, like a bouncer <laughs> sent in to deal with this unruly Israel. Cause, cause yeah, that's what we have during the time yeah. of the Kings, like yeah. the unruly Israel. And so God sends in like these bouncers. They don't, <laughs> they don't actually carry out the destruction, but they, they right. speak of it. They speak that it's coming. Yeah. But when you read those, think about, in essence, all the in all the poetic language that the prophets use, all the metaphors and stories they use to describe how God feels about Israel mm -hmm. and, and about the impending destruction he will bring, they really aren't coming up with anything new. So that's something to think about, because they're, they're talking about the covenant that he'd already set with them. <laughs> they're, right. they're merely restating these original terms, the stuff that we just talked about from, from Deuteronomy chapter 28 that you just read, and Leviticus 26, and Deuteronomy chapter 4. We kind of skipped some of those books of the law in our in our overview of thing, but, um, that was God's terms of the covenant with them. And so yeah. 
So that's, that's what will happen to the people if they don't obey. And so when Israel hits this major low point during the time of the kings, when they're not obeying God at all, God sends in these covenant enforcement mediators to remind <laughs> them of what the covenant says and to describe in detail about this upcoming destruction. And I think, I think it's through the prophets that we really get to see some of our real God's highs and lows with his people. Mm -hmm. As we were talking about high points in Israel's history and low points, through the prophets, I think we get to see God's highs and lows as he relates mm -hmm. to them. We get to see his anger and wrath mm -hmm. mixed with this undying love and faithfulness and patience and forgiveness. Mm -hmm. And you see that... So more so... More so his emotional highs and lows, not necessarily yes. the highs and lows of his goodness or his, you know, yes. faithfulness, but his emotional highs and lows. Yeah, his emotional yeah. highs and lows. And here's mm -hmm. just a few examples of some of that. In Amos chapter 8, verses 2 through 3, this is more the anger and wrath. The end has come upon my people Israel. I will never again pass by them. The songs of the mm -hmm. temple shall become wailings in that day, declares the Lord. So many dead bodies. They're thrown everywhere. Silence. It's, it's this picture of... Uh horror and destruction yes. and God is angry and he's never again. But then there's this example from Hosea chapter 11 verses eight through nine, where God says, how can I give you up? Oh, if Ephraim, how can I hand you over? Oh, Israel, how can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboim? My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. I will not execute my burning anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim for I am God and not a man, the Holy one in your midst. And I will not come in wrath. And so these are two extreme <laughs> and opposite emotions. Yeah. And, and most of the writings of the prophets tell of those kinds of things and every emotion in between and, and God's extreme love and extreme wrath and justice. So it's kind of the highs and lows of God's heart, God's emotion, God's affections, I think. And so just think of that, you know, since we're doing an overview, as you read the books of the prophets, um, think of, think of those things, uh, covenant enforcement mediators and kind of the highs and lows of God's heart are, our real God who wants to relate to us and bring us back into a relationship with him, right? That's what we've been talking about. And since this is such a low point in the, in, in the time of the kings, a low point for Israel in their history, mm -hmm. I think the word of God through the prophets expresses this low point of God's emotion. But yeah. it also promises a time of restoration when God yeah. will, will bring victory um, and he will make he will make his people new and bring his people back to himself. So yeah. unfortunately, in order to get to that being made new <laughs> somewhere down yes. the line, the real people have to go through exile, which you mentioned, you know, destruction comes after this time of the Kings. They have to yeah. go through exile. So Misu, tell us a little bit about that, the time of exile for the nation so, of Israel. Yeah. So like we talked about before, there were actually two exiles. The Northern kingdom of Israel was exiled to Assyria in 721 BC and then the mm -hmm. southern kingdom of Judah was conquered by Babylon in 586 BC. Um, and they were world powers, Assyria, and then Assyria was overcome by Babylon. So these are world powers that come in and they basically take over the known world in that area. So yeah. when we see Babylon having taken over Judah, biblical heroes like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and, and Queen Esther, they're the ones that live during this second exile. And so 
when you read their stories, I want you to think about living in this foreign land. They, that's where they were. They, they had been mm -hmm. conquered. They were under foreign rule. They no longer functioned like the unique and distinct nation of God's people that they were intended to be. And so here are some of the prophets who wrote during the early part of the second exile too. Jeremiah wrote during this exile, Daniel, we mentioned before, but also Ezekiel. So these were, these were the prophets that wrote during the early part of the second exile. Yeah. And then we have, we have a few of these Old Testament books that take place in this unique period. Misu and I were trying to figure out how to describe, you know, part of this time. Um, you have a few Old Testament books that describe a time when a small remnant of the Jews, the Israelites, were allowed to return to Jerusalem, their holy city, after 70 years of captivity. Because Jeremiah had prophesied that, that they would be in captivity and exile for 70 years. And so at the end of that 70 years, a small remnant gets to come back to Jerusalem and build a new temple, a smaller temple than Solomon's temple, because that had been destroyed. So, so you'll find this part of Israel's history recorded in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. Maya. That's where you'll find that story. Um, and this is an important part of Israel's story because this remnant that comes back to Jerusalem comes back to God. That's what mm -hmm. we've been looking for, yeah. right? Like we've had this right. low point. That's what we've been looking for. And God said he was going to restore his people to himself. And so he does with this remnant. Um, and the prophets, the prophets Haggai and Zechariah and Malachi, um, are prophets during that time also for that remnant. And they, they prophesy to teach this remnant how to live as God's people again back mm -hmm. in God's holy city in Jerusalem. So yeah. they have a little bit of a unique function. So there's a few books there that you need to know. That's about a remnant coming back to Jerusalem. Yeah. And if, if you are interested in biblical fiction, um, Lynn Austin series, the restoration Chronicles details with biblical fiction, this remnant time in Israel's history when they return to Jerusalem. And you know, you know me, I'm going to plug biblical fiction. It's a wonderful way to learn. <laughs> do you, do you this like biblical fiction? You know, I, I, it's amazing, isn't it, that I would plug biblical fan? fiction. Yeah, go figure. But Lynn Austin, and Lynn Austin, I'm telling you, she's, she's the, one of the ones that got me hooked on it. I love her. So, um, okay, yeah, the Restoration up. Chronicles, it's, it's very good and it helps. It helps you understand, especially Zechariah's uh, role in this remnant that returned to Jerusalem. Yeah. Uh, but then make sure yeah. you go back to your Bible <laughs> and read Haggai, uh, Zechariah, <laughs> and Malachi. Because it, you yeah. know, after reading the fiction, you are going to understand your Bible better. I, I think it will make it come alive. So. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a little bit about th some of those books in that time. But then that was only a remnant that came back. So right. we still have a great number of Israelites who did not get to return to Jerusalem after, yeah. you know, they were taken into captivity. So they're still scattered and still living under foreign rule of other nations. Mm -hmm. So Misu, why don't you tell, do those Israelites, do they ever get to come home anytime soon? What happens with those people of God? Well, you know, it's, it's interesting. Um, the book of Daniel is, is difficult to understand in many ways. And yet it is, it is fascinating because it gives us both some of the history of the early exile, but then it also gives a prophetic timeline of the future world kingdoms till the end of time. So it tells us a little bit about what is going to happen with the Jews from the early exile clear until the end. And so it tells us that through several 
several ways actually, but the easiest way to, to sum it up for this overview is through King Nebuchadnezzar's dream that Daniel interprets. And Nebuchadnezzar has a dream about a statue. It's this enormous statue and he describes it. Daniel interprets it as, okay, the head is made of pure gold. That symbolizes Babylon. The next uh, thing he talks about is the chest and arms of silver, which represent the next world power that's going to take over, and that's Medo-Persia. And it's during the Medo-Persia era that we see the book of Esther being lived out and and written. Um, Mm -hmm. Then we have the belly and thighs of bronze on this huge Mongo statue. That represents the kingdom of Greece. And they come in and they conquer Medo-Persia. And that's where you have Alexander the Great, that that whole story. And he comes in and he conquers the whole world at the time. And then who comes in and conquers Greece? Well, the legs of iron on this statue in Nebuchadnezzar's dream represent the Roman Empire. And you probably remember the they were called the, you know, the army of iron. They they instituted uh, they had the iron um the iron stubs in their in their sandals and that gave them the ability to fight and to to win over armies because they had better footing so that the legs of iron is is what is represented by the romans and they came in and conquered all the greeks so and then the last um thing about this statue as far as his anatomy was the feet of the statue were made of partly iron and partly baked clay and that represents current day the divided european nations or the divided nations of the world iron and clay and then as daniel was was interpreting this dream for nebuchadnezzar he watched and and saw a rock cut out and it struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and all the whole statue was shattered to pieces the wind came in swept all those pieces away and the rock became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth well just as god's promises to the israelites came true you know with with the covenant in deuteronomy and and the mm-hmm. exile and then 70 mm-hmm. years they came back all of that came true so will every word from daniel's lips come to pass and and it did it was exactly the way it said first babylon then medo persia then greece mm-hmm. then rome that i i mean it was amazing how the world empires fell exactly as daniel prescribed and so will the rock cut from stone as a vision of our savior and rock who will someday strike the iron and clay feet of earthly kingdoms. The wind is often seen as the Holy spirit. He will come in and sweep them away. And our rock will be the mountain that fills the whole earth. He will draw his people to himself now, including the Gentiles because of the cross Mm -hmm. and he will fill the earth and bring all who believe in him into that perfect transparent relationship as it once was in the garden. I, how cool is that? So that's what happens to Israel. Do they get to come back after their exile? Absolutely. And, and because of, remember that initial covenant that God made with Abraham, that you will bless all nations Yeah. that all that through you, Abraham, all nations will be blessed. We see it here in Daniel's, um, interpretation of Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Finally, the rock that strikes the feet 
fills the whole earth and all nations yeah. are blessed. Oh my goodness, let's just shout and have church. Yeah, that's right. Oh my goodness. Well, I love and it. And I think that's going to be uh, kind of wrapping up our Old Testament for us then. This, and that's that's what we've been talking about this whole time in our, our Through the Bible character series, what you were just talking about, God restoring his people to himself. We've been talking yeah. about our real God who wants to relate to us. And we've been asking the question, what is our real God doing in all these different instances? And I think what we've been discovering a lot is that he's been relating to his people and working to bring them back into that restored relationship. Mm -hmm. That's what he's been doing. What have the real people been doing? Messing it up. What has God been doing? Relating (laughs) to them and working, working to, to restore. So obviously there's, you know, a whole new Testament that we haven't even talked about really. and, And part of the story we haven't covered and, as you can imagine, it's quite important. It's an important yep. part of the story. Um, yep. but, but that's going to wrap it up for us, I think, for our overview of the Old Testament. And hopefully um, through some of that, the highs and lows of Israel's history, through talking about some of that, you were able to see how our real people were straying and how our real God kept loving them and disciplining them and, and working to restore that relationship. So, and that's what he still does today. And I think that's Amen. a good place yep. to end this. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, that, that's all the time we have for now, but in our next episode, which the date is to be announced, we will choose a character in scripture that we haven't talked about yet. And we will dig deeply into his or her role in this amazing plan that we've just reviewed. Mm-hmm. So it's even more important, like I said before, that you subscribe to Real People, Real God on iTunes, Android, or Stitcher and sign up for my Friday blog at www.misuandrews.com slash blog so that you don't miss these now occasional podcasts. So we hope you'll join us again. Until then, remember, be real. Thanks for listening to Real People, Real God. If you've enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to give us a star rating on iTunes. We rely on real people to provide feedback and our real God to provide listeners. 